0: Welcome to She's Running, the podcast all about women who are running for office, from school board to Senate and everything in between. I'm Emily Jackson. Today's guest is Kim Olson, who is running for Texas Commissioner of Agriculture. Well, I am all jacked up on Texas politics. I just got back from hearing a really dynamic candidate speak to an overcrowded, overheated room full of people who wanted nothing more than to get outside and go knock on some doors. And now I've got a really great conversation with retired Air Force Colonel Kim Olson, who is running for an office that i guess most Americans aren't too familiar with. Okay, so I wanna just jump in here. So who are you and for what are you running?
1: My name is Kim Olson and I'm running for the Texas Commissioner of Agriculture for the great state of Texas.
0: And what does the Commissioner of Agriculture do?
1: Ooh, does lots of things. Well, <laughs> it does consumer protection. We do weights and measures, meaning every time you scan something, put it on a weight, even put gas in your car. We're the ones that make sure you get a good gallon of gas for your hard-earned dollars. We generate about $106 billion in revenue for the state of Texas every year. One in six jobs is connected to ag, and that's obviously all the products you would think about that you grow. Your Department of Ag also uh, feeds 3 million children every day, free and reduced lunch. We set those policies. We also do rural development, things like bringing broadband out into rural Texas and making sure we have telemedicine for those folks that are living out in the area. Big job. Yep. Big job.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's just so much encompassed in that. And that's not something that I think many people know that you can run for. Exactly. So what made you decide to run for this position?
1: Well, let me just answer, let me take that question apart. What made me decide to run was November 2016, Mm -hmm. and mostly because I believe that at this point in our nation's journey, it needs more leadership from women in those political positions, that we have sort of um, stayed on the sidelines a little too long, if I may. And my experience with the military for 25 years has taught me one thing, that better decisions are made when women sit around war room tables, just like better decisions are going to get made when we get women around political tables. So that's the reason I'm running. The reason I'm running for Commissioner of Agriculture because I'm a fourth-generation farmer. I run my farm here in uh, Texas, I also have one up in Iowa, so I understand what big mechanized farming is like, and I understand how hard it is to make a living trying to make a produce and get it into market. And for those of your listeners that don't know, the average age of your farmer today is about 63. And we lose about eight farms every day because of development or nobody to take over the land or folks who just they've just had enough because it's just really challenging to um, to raise a crop and get a profit from farming these days.
0: I know that you are a big proponent of farms. You've got a, a big farm of your own, but you're also one of your things is like local grown food and getting kids educated about healthy meals and things like that how did you get involved in in this kind of, of work
1: well my land is what we would call a sustainable farm it, it, we call it regenerative agriculture which means it's sort of a closed circle of life everything gets everything else i do raise honeybees so you have to be really careful what kind of things you bring into your land because it'll impact the health of the bees I grow pecans and fruit trees, and I was running a CSA, which is called a Community Supported Agriculture. So that's sort of my backdrop of growing. Um, What made me get into kids is really an extension of my work with veterans, and I worked as a CEO for an organization called Grace After Fire, which helped women reintegrate after serving in combat. And the thing we learned, above all, anything else is if you feed folks well you can get them well so with that as a backdrop now we'll step to what children are facing today in basically elementary school emily We have a big obesity problem down here in Texas. And when you're obese in elementary school, that leads you on a pretty fast track to type two diabetes before you hit high school years. And diabetes is a long disease, brutal disease. It leads to you know heart attacks, stroke, blindness, even amputation, and that's by the time you're 30. So I really believe that it's the responsibility of those of us in power to help children make good food choices, to help educate parents about how not to let their kids get sick. And if you don't care about it from, you know, those kids' point of view, it's economically unsustainable to have a third of the next generation of children sick with type 2 diabetes. So I think um, having having being able to have an impact in that arena is really critical to this position. Have you always been political? That's a really insightful question. I would offer that being in the first generation of female pilots you learned how to navigate those political structures even inside the military in order to A, survive and B, be successful. <laughs> so no, I've not held office until I got out of the military, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. but I think it gives you a skill set about how to maneuver landscape that can be, um, can be challenging sometimes. And so I offer that because again, Your listeners out there, if you're running, you know that we have a pretty divided political structure right now. And someone has to step in the middle and try to find a way to collaborate with those who control the levers of power. And so when people ask me down here in Texas, oh, my gosh, it's a red state. How are you going to get along with legislators? It's Mm -hmm. like, well, I did that for 25 years in the military. I think I'm pretty good at that, to be quite honest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What was the journey from you retiring from the military to you deciding to run for office?
1: Well, it's been, um, almost 13 years, well, 12 years uh, by the time I decided to run for office. So I uh, got out of the military and went into education. I'm, I think I have a teacher's heart. I uh, was the head HR for Dallas ISD, and I also ran on the school board. So when you asked me if I was political, I was being kind of snarky, but <laughs> I did I did hold a political position being on a school board because we get elected here in Texas, mm-hmm. and I served two two terms on that uh, school board. It, it was a suburban school board, and yet I worked in an urban school system, uh, as like I said, their HR. After that, uh, we had um, sort of this spike in women coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, and there really wasn't a safety net for them when they were coming back from from experiences in combat. And an organization uh, approached me to be their CEO, and you know, Emily, like, I was the generation that took the doors off the hinges so women could go into combat. And part of my responsibility, even as a retired uh, person, is to still make sure we have care and feeding of the troops. So when that opportunity arose, I thought absolutely somebody has to stand for them till they can stand for themselves. So I ran this nonprofit for five years. We helped about six thousand uh, veteran families here in Texas, and. W- my mission was kind of twofold. The first was to agitate—I <laughs> love that word—the system, <laughs> kind of like a washing machine, to get it to be more receptive to women veterans. We we are different. We have different needs, and by that I mean with the VA. And then on the other side of the coin was to help serve the female vets right here at, at basically a you know a one on one level. So we did a lot of peer to peer. We did a lot of retreats. I did um, testifying in front of legislators about the needs of women vets, so I, I consider our journey here in Texas to be quite successful in helping our female veterans reintegrate and then putting systems in place so they can get help from the different bureaucracies that are out there. And then after that, uh, we finally finished building our home here out on the ranch on the Brazos River, and so we moved out and I became a, a country girl. So I went from city mouse <laughs> to country girl, and that's when we... Um, started farming full-time, and running my community-supported agriculture. So that's what I've been doing.
0: So I know it's two different scales of -hmm. campaigning, but did you learn anything running for school board that you're kind of implementing in your campaign now? Oh, that's
1: a good question. I I think the parallels are that, because yeah, school board is not quite like a statewide. Mm -hmm. What I did learn was to trust my gut instinct, and if Those women who are listening to you out there, that that is part of us. And when you follow that gut instinct or that sixth sense that we women have, you you need to listen to it because it it's right. There's just we are wired that way, and we sort of get it. That's number one. Number two is that no matter how much money you raise, because again, women tend to not outraise men in the political spectrum for the most part. But you know what? We, we don't need the money. We need the people. And I think that's the beauty of women is we are very good at working with all kinds of people all across this wonderful tapestry that is, that is our country. So that, that's number two. And then the third thing is, again, back to kind of being in a military where you're in a closed personnel system and you're always training a replacement, is on the school board, which was consisted of all white men, uh, middle-aged white men, in Texas and I was the only female the coolest part about it was when i left two of the the gentlemen that were on the board went out and recruited another female to take my place oh wow and so yeah so in that i know that you just running for office you holding office you supporting women who are running for office and men You're a role model that makes a difference, and you cannot imagine what kind of force multiplier you are for those folks in the political arena.
0: That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So, is it daunting, or were you like nervous at all about running for a statewide office, you know, especially in a state as big as Texas? No, I,
1: I was not. I wanted to do a good job, I wanted to build a good team, I want a high functioning campaign. I'm kind of You know, I demand a lot of myself, therefore, good or bad, I demand a lot of those that work for me. And it's interesting because the team that takes you through the primary is probably, and in most cases, different than the team that takes you to a general election. It's just kind of the way the battle rhythm of a campaign works. That's number one. Number two is my mother, this is funny, Emily, your mother still, you know, worries about you even at this age. And she called me up and she said, I'm worried whether if you don't win, you do all this work and you don't win. I said, Mom, I'm running two campaigns right now. I'm running the one trying to get the number to get elected. And for those, those of us in Texas, that's about 3 million votes out of 15 million registered voters. We only need 3 million, holy cow. Wow. But that's what the number is. I said, that's one campaign. And at the end of the day, there's there's not a whole lot that I can do to influence 3 million people. They're, they're gonna come out and vote or, or they're not. But the other campaign that I'm running is every time I get in front of an audience, every time I fire people up, every time I fire, inspire some woman to run for office or some man to support a woman running for office or get folks in the political discourse, then I win. So every day that I've been on the trail, I'm winning. And that's how I look at it.
0: What has the process been like for you to, to do this campaign?
1: You make a strategy for your campaign. So again, just let's take a step back because I've been at this since March, so over 15 months, and it's my first attack was I didn't want anybody to primary me. So I worked, I got in front of it. I worked really, really hard. And when I heard rumors about two men who were going to run, I went and visited them and let them see who I was, let them see that I was serious, you know, ask for their sage advice, try to get them on the Kim team. And they both did. So I was fortunate that I didn't have anybody to compete against me, but I didn't know who I was going to run against. So I had to wait for the primary to clear so I could see who my opponent was going to be. So that was the second thing. And then the third thing, and, and in that time, that whole year, I had not been in the political uh, structure very much here in Texas. And so I had to win over the party leadership. So I spent a lot of time with the Democratic Party that first year and seeing farms and fields so I could get a really deep understanding of agriculture and what's happening out there. That's hence the trying to visit a hundred and 254 counties in this great state, and of course I've been to 180 so far. So that was like the first uh, cut at it. Now we're 100 days from the election. Now you are in the get out the vote, and you want everybody and anybody to get out and vote. So I stopped going to what you would call your echo chambers, which are you know your friendlies that, you know, yeah, we love you. But you're going to vote for me anyway you don't need to see me again i got you it's those that are still sitting on the fence that those that aren't quite sure that those would just love to vote for the person but you're a different party yeah but you want me to vote for you want to vote for the person and here's why because i have your best interests in heart. because in this position everybody eats you're all wearing clothes therefore i have to represent all of you so i'm spending a lot of time in mixed audiences trying to convince them that I'm the best person for the job regardless of the party I am the best person for the job therefore you need to vote for me and that's exactly where we are right now
0: so you're trying to win people over from very you know rural parts mm-hmm. of Texas to you know very urban parts what are some of the big issues that you're hearing people are really concerned about
1: there's about three issues that you hear about when and again depends on where you are in the state so let's take the urban side first i'm going to tackle urban is where we have large concentrations of uh, kids who are on free and reduced lunch a lot of title one schools so therefore access and affordability for parents for food is really important and of course minority children tend to be the greatest at risk for the type 2 diabetes lack of health care lack of nutrition lack of You know, um, we have what we call food deserts or food insecurities here. About 1.7 million children in our great state are like that, but not just kids, senior citizens, too. So that makes me pivot out to the rural areas where a senior citizen might be on a fixed income and they got to make choice, hard choices as to do I want my medicine or do I want food? And so we've we got to fix those kinds of things. So that's how you can bridge that is everybody eats. Therefore, whether you're in rural or urban, it really doesn't matter. The next thing is you know, economic viability. Those, those towns in rural Texas are, are dying. They are. People aren't moving to them. And one of the reasons is because we can't get broadband out there. I mean, 80% of the schoolwork kids get, you got to get it offline, try starting a school, start, try starting a business without access to broadband. And some of those, because Texas chose, leaders chose not to expand Medicaid, then that means uh, those rural towns don't have hospitals. We lost 16 rural hospitals in the last uh, couple years because we, we didn't want to expand Medicaid. But people still need access to medical care. But if you had broadband, you could do telemedicine. So there there are lots of things, and how, just to bridge it and finish it here, is what happens in our state is that folks from rural will move into urban settings to either go to work or take their kids to school, but then they, when they retire, they tend to move out to rural and vice versa. So it's really interesting how you have a lot of folks, and, and even if they don't move, I can assure you there are rural people that know folks in the city and city people that know folks in the rural.
0: So how can people get involved with your campaign right now?
1: Well, there's a lots of ways they can get involved with that campaign. <laughs> One is to listen to your podcast. But the first is you go, go up on VoteKimOlson.org. And I'm a pretty transparent candidate. And on there, I have all the issue papers, all those things, great questions you just asked me are listed on there. And this is what Texans are telling me. And it's funny because a lot of stuff resonates across our country. So I laundry list all the issues. So if you ever want to know anything about it, it's up there already. That's number one. Number two is, like all campaigns, you can always use volunteers. You can use volunteers to walk blocks, to write postcards, to um, make phone calls, to register people to vote, especially in the state, and to drive people to the polls. I have a thing, and when I tell people, look, this ain't the prom, y'all. Nobody has to ask (laughs) us to go. You go to the polls, and you take somebody with you. That's how we're going to do this. So that's the second thing. And, of course, like all campaigns, we can use um, funds. And the funds are used to try to get out the vote. The funds are used to push your name so you have name recognition. But here's the caveat that I use to your listeners out there. Look, if you've only got 20 bucks to spend on some candidate, I want you to donate it to your local candidate. And the reason you do that is because it's your local candidate that's going to actually get out the vote for those of us on the statewide slate. He he or she is gonna be the one you walk block for. That's the one you're gonna put hangers on doors. That's the one you're gonna go to fairs and pass out their push cards. Local candidates help us drive out the vote and for the first time in Texas's history, and I'm talking 30 years it's been, we have almost every single position contested. All the congressional positions are being contested and we have incredible qualified people running up and down the ballot all over this great state. So there is no reason that you should not get out and vote this year.
0: It's so interesting what's happening in Texas, because there are so many candidates that you wouldn't have even imagined a year to five years ago, who are leading polls. Do you feel that excitement when you're going across a state also?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, we have a really exciting candidate, Beto O'Rourke, who's running Mm -hmm. against Ted Cruz, and he is just, he is quite the crowd drawer, and he's an incredible young man who's really working hard to earn people's votes. So that, from the very top of the ticket, is very, very exciting. The other thing that's exciting about the the Mm -hmm. slate, which is what all the statewide candidates, it's basically none of us are politicians. None of us. All of us who are running on this, this slate got up one morning and said, you know, this state needs my leadership and I'm going to take a year to 18 months of my life and I'm going to dedicate it to trying to win this and try to help Texas in these leadership positions. And I am so proud to sit on a slate like that. That's number two. And the good news kind of, that I like is that Texas, and I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but Texas has more women running for office than any other state in the Mm -hmm. union. And not only do we have more women running, we have more women supporting women who are running. Because our challenge when you haven't won at a statewide level is to have bench strength. And so we're not just in this for 2018, we're in this for 2020, 2022, because all those folks that work on campaigns now will be the next candidates next time around, and they'll be those that are the campaign managers, and on and on and on. So it is so exciting to be in politics right now, and it's so exciting you know, to kind of carry the legacy of our sisters and enlightened men who 100 years ago got us the right to vote. I mean, it was 100 years ago yesterday that mm-hmm. that happened. And what we want is our our descendants to look back at us 50 years from now and say, man, those Texas people, they were a, they were a tough bunch. They worked <laughs> their butts off and they got themselves elected in record numbers. And I'm just so proud, you know. I'd like I'd like my grandchildren to be able to say that about me one day.
0: That's awesome. I Thank got you. one last question for you here. Shoot. What is one piece of advice that you have for a woman who might be thinking about running for office?
1: I can give you that advice in one word. Run. <laughs> you have more skill sets, you have more life experiences, you are incredible at multitasking. You are exactly what this nation needs at this time in our history. Women are needed more than ever. And it's not because we wanna take over, you enlightened men out there, it is because we do best when we have shared leadership. And it is time, ladies, that we step up and we take our rightful places in the, lever, the power levers of leadership of this country. And right now, that's needed in the political arena. So run.
0: Thank you so much for chatting with me today. This You has been great.
1: are welcome. It is such a pleasure. And thank you for what you do. We sure appreciate it.
0: And that's it for today. Big thanks to Kim Olson for talking with me. You can find out more about her and her campaign at VoteKimOlson.org. That's V-O-T-E-K-I-M-O-L-S-O-N.org. She's also on Facebook at Kim Olson for Commissioner of Agriculture, and you can find her on Twitter at at Kim Olson for Texas Ag. You can find She's Running on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at She's Running Pod. If you like what I'm doing here, please tell a friend about the show and take a quick sec to go rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can also find the show on Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you like listening to your podcasts. And that's it for today. Thanks. Talk to you soon.